we have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for 12 months for just $62.99 and save 30% on the newsstand price. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $62.99. You'll find our special subscription offer at australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. Welcome to Talking Australia. My name is Chrissy Goldrick. My guest today is Ross Coulthard. He's well known to Australians from his role as an investigative reporter on 60 Minutes on Channel 9 and from the Sunday Night News programme. Ross has won five prestigious Walkley Awards for journalism, including the most coveted top award, the Gold Walkley. And while we've all been locked down in COVID, Ross has spent much of the past year in pursuit of UFOs, flying saucers or UAP, unidentified aerial phenomena. And he's captured his findings in a brand new book called In Plain Sight and in an article that will appear in the November 2021 edition of Australian Geographic. Welcome to Talking Australia, Ross. It's a pleasure to be here, Chrissy. Thank you. Look, what on earth drew a seasoned, respected reporter like yourself to start looking into in depth into a topic that most self-respecting journalists would leave well alone, just in case they were to be labelled a conspiracy theorist or at worst, a straight out nutcase? What on earth compelled you to pursue such a taboo subject? Isn't it intriguing how there is such a taboo, such a stigma associated with this extraordinary subject? And, you know, like a lot of people in journalism, I stayed away from it for 37 years. I've worked in journalism for nearly 40 years, four decades. And in those four decades, I've rarely touched UFOs, or as I like to call them, unidentified aerial phenomena. It's a, a less stigmatised and less taboo term than unidentified flying objects. When you say UFO, everybody starts thinking of little green men and flying saucers. No, I mean, what, what got me into this was the fact primarily that in December 2017, and a little bit before that, I was getting tips from my own sources about this, the US government signalled an amazing shift, a paradigm shift, a shift that I don't think the rest of the world's media has actually caught up with yet. They allowed and indeed encouraged the publication and discussion about three extraordinary videos of objects that were recorded by US Navy fighter pilots and different pilots in uh, different uh, sections of the military of objects that were termed the gimbal, the go-fast, and the tic-tac. And these objects were shown doing things that were extraordinary. Now, I'm very mindful that your uh, inspiration for Osgeo is my very, very good friend, Dick Smith, who's been very kind to me over the years. And Dick's a sceptic. And I'd be loving to know what Dick thinks with me engaging in this, because I think... The balance of proof now is such that we have to engage with the subject of UAPs as a genuine mystery. 
We can't just ignore it any longer because what the US government has progressively done in the last four years since December of 2017 is admit that the phenomenon is real and that they can't explain it. And those videos, those Navy videos, are just the tip of an iceberg of many, many hundreds of videos, sightings, reports, many of which have been recorded on high-quality digital formats at FLIR imaging, forward-looking infrared imaging, incredibly sophisticated radar systems, pulsed array radar systems that incontrovertibly show these objects doing things that are, in the words of military officials, intelligently controlled technology craft, vehicles. And indeed, one of the revelations that came out of the, uh, the New York Times, the world's probably arguably greatest newspaper's revelations in December 2017 and since, is that whilst since 1969, with the closure of Project Blue Book, you and I, as journalists, have been told that this subject should be treated with stigma and taboo and, indeed, ridicule because it's not real, UFOs aren't real, it's all rubbish, just ignore it, it's swamp gas, weather balloons, some easily explained prosaic phenomena. The reality is, behind the scenes, the United States government never stopped investigating the phenomenon. And I'm now privy, both privately from my conversations with my sources, I've satisfied myself as an investigative journalist of, I hope, some repute, that this is a real phenomenon. But you don't have to listen to me. Bill Nelson, who's the NASA administrator, said just yesterday in an extraordinary interview, he said, there is a possibility that some UFOs might be extraterrestrial life forms or beings from an alternative universe. And he was talking about the videos that have been shot by US Navy pilots, which he's been given a secret briefing about. And there's been a lot of speculation about when Bill was going to make any comment because he was given a, a briefing by members of what's now called the UAP, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. Sounds like something out of uh, Dark Skies or X-Files, but it really does exist. So, so, Ross, what do you think? So what you're saying is uh, it, things are changing because the evidence, the, the visual evidence is there now, and it's it's incontrovertible because it's, yep. been, it's been caught on numerous. So I, I guess that the, the, the question is, is it, so it's not that... that, that people are seeing things more often or maybe it is but just but I think just you know it's for a bit of context take us back to when this sort of deny you know I suppose when the first sightings of any kind of you know a journal of record you know when anything was really being recorded by people you know I tend to feel myself it was around the, the late 1940s when we first started hearing about this What's the what, what what's the reason for the change of heart? You know, what's the story really of denying these things over the years? Well, Chrissy, this is where it's interesting because from 1947, when the extraordinary sightings were made across the entire western coast of the United States, and indeed right across the United States, um, you know, there was this fellow who claimed that he saw 
objects skipping like saucers, they looked like saucers, uh, past a mountain in Northern California. And uh, that term, that created the term flying saucers. And at that time, in the 1940s, and indeed right into the 1950s, it was socially acceptable and ethically acceptable for the media to engage with this subject, and they did. And what was fascinating was that there were military officials, very senior military officials in the US government, including Roscoe Hillencotter, who was the former director of the Central Intelligence Agency, the founding member of the CIA, they went on to found and be participants in a group called NICAP, which was essentially a, a UFO investigation group. And they were saying that the US government was hiding evidence of craft. There were even allegations of retrieved craft. Now, for most of your and my career, I know I have. I've ridiculed the subject matter. Um, I can remember being on the desk of the Sydney Morning Herald. I was a weekend chief of staff, and there was some um, lady rangers from Parramatta, and she said, oh, I've got a photograph of a flying saucer over my house. And we thought it was hilarious. We, you know, we said, oh, by all means, send it in. And I remember I spoke to the editor, and I said, oh, there's a lady who reckons she's got a photograph of a flying saucer. And I remember he came down on me like a ton of bricks and said, no, Ross, we don't do flying saucer stories. A, you know, there's no way. You don't go near them. What's really interesting, though, is that when I started going through both the US and the Australian National Archives, the Defence Department documents, the Air Force documents for both Australia and the United States, the, the United Kingdom, France, Canada, all of these countries had active UFO surveillance programs, particularly whenever there was nuclear weapons testing. And this was a very, very common phenomenon, not just in the Nevada test range in the United States, but also in Australia's Maralinga in the South Australian desert. And people have forgotten that we were a guinea pig for British nuclear testing during the 1940s, 50s and 60s, when they were experimenting on creating both their atomic bomb and their hydrogen bomb. And Australia, for insane reasons, allowed its deserts to be used for these tests. And what's fascinating to me is that right through these tests, and nobody challenges the provenance of these documents. They are genuine. They are authentic. Right through these tests, there were sightings by military officials, which were methodically recorded by the Australian Air Force Intelligence Group, uh, delightfully named DAFI, the, 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 the Defence Air Force Intelligence. But DAFI meticulously recorded these sightings, and they were unable to explain them. And there were objects flying at tens of thousands of kilometres an hour, turning on literally a dime, doing right-angled turns instantaneously with no change in velocity. And these various characteristics of this phenomenon, you might notice I've used words like object and phenomenon. I'm not necessarily saying that these are aliens or extraterrestrials. But what's fascinating is there was a transition that took place in the 1960s for reasons that have never been explained by the Americans. The Americans went from openness and candor, admitting to the mystery of UFOs, 
especially after the flyover over Washington, D.C. in 1952. Slowly through the 50s, a curtain descended over the whole issue. And the media, I've discovered to my amazement, was propagandized, was teased and tricked into treating this issue with stigma and mm -hmm. taboo. And is that, because is that related to the cold, to the Cold War and, and there is and one, one of the explanations general secrecy or, or well, one of the explanations that's been put up by a guy who was a general in NORAD is that the reason why they wanted UFOs off the agenda is because too many people during the late 50s and the 60s were calling the American military and saying, we're seeing strange craft flying over the Nevada test range. Or, and a lot of it was American testing of new types of craft and, and uh, uh, experimental technologies. But the Americans claim that that's a justification for why they publicly shut down and stigmatised the whole issue. I, I frankly don't buy it. I really don't. I don't think that's a plausible explanation. And people, I can tell you, in US intelligence and defence are telling me, even today, that the US has an incredible amount to reveal. And I feel very privileged because, as an Australian journalist, putting my toe into the subject of UFOs, I was really agonised when I first started out thinking, who the hell is going to talk to me in America if I start contacting people in America? And then I, I did my reading, I looked at those archives, and they showed a clear change had taken place in the 1960s, where very slowly, and you can read this in the CIA's own archive, its library shows, there was a deliberate decision made to shut down public scrutiny of and interest in UFOs, whilst at the same time, albeit they were making a public statement that there was no threat to national security or air safety posed by these objects, the US, the UK, France, even Russia and Australia and Canada were all secretly, methodically investigating the phenomenon and taking it incredibly seriously indeed. And very slowly, a large amount of evidence has emerged. The files that show the, D the um, CIA tried to suppress this issue and treat it with ridicule and taboo were declassified under Bill Clinton only in the 1990s. And they show very clearly the CIA made a policy decision to stigmatise and ridicule the subject of UFOs. And yet, in reality, behind the scenes, they were taking it incredibly seriously indeed. And I've spoken to people who worked at Australia's Pine Gap, the secret military base, the joint military facility that we have with the Americans. It receives the feed from the Defence Support program satellites, the DSP satellites, which are essentially positioned, I think, 300 miles out in orbit. And they are looking back towards the planet, looking for missile flares. They're essentially an early warning system for the Americans in the event of a Soviet or Chinese attack. But they suddenly discovered that there were objects that were being detected on their imaging systems and their uh, sensor systems which were inexplicable. They were coming from deep space, they were changing course, changing velocity, and then going into the Earth's atmosphere.
I've spoken to multiple people who've told me about this, not only in Australia, but also in the United States. And the fascinating thing to me is there's a cognitive dissonance between the way a lot of the mainstream media treats this issue, not only here in Australia, but also in the United States. My my friends, Ralph Blumenthal and Leslie Kane, who wrote the New York Times stories since December 2017, they've flatly alleged, or they've, they've carried reports, which have alleged that the United States government have retrieved alien craft, alien technology. These are allegations that have actually been put to members of Congress in secret briefings. Now, I know this sounds crazy, but, <laughs> but, but I think we are headed for quite shocking revelations at some stage in the next year to five years, I can only guess, from the United States government. I think it is slowly preparing humanity for the fact that potentially we are not alone. And the comments just yesterday of Bill Nelson, the NASA administrator, He'd seen the videos uh, taken by Navy pilots in his secret briefing. And he said yesterday, we hope it's not an adversary here on Earth that has that kind of technology. Um, uh, he said, um, there have been 300 sightings by these Navy pilots. I've talked to those pilots. They know they saw something. Their radars locked onto it. And then all of a sudden, it was down there on the surface, and then it's up there, pointing up. And they don't yeah. know what it is. We don't know what it is. We hope it's not an adversary here on Earth that has that kind of technology, but it's something. Yeah, look, I think there's, a, I think there's the first stage, which is to kind of get your head around that, you know, there, there's so many of these sightings. And when we, you know, we've ignored a lot of them for years, thinking that anybody that claims to have been have seen something or been abducted by aliens or whatever, that it's, you know, uh, it's the crazies at work, and I guess um, that's one thing. And and what your uh, what your book reveals, and 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 what the research has shown is that you know there is a lot of a lot of a lot more of this, a lot more of these sightings, and maybe the one or two famous ones that we know about. But it's really what it what it means, uh, isn't it, Ross? What does it actually mean if it, if these things are real? That is really the biggest story of all time. And I, I do, are we resisting it because, you know, do we not want to talk about this because where do we, what do we say after that? You know, it, yeah. it changes absolutely everything that we know about ourselves and it really defines our view of ourselves in the universe. is one, one of the reasons maybe that we, we don't go there is because we don't really know where that takes us. That is really into the unknown for our human race. Look, I... Chrissy, you, you you know my background. I, I'm a journalist who doesn't believe in conspiracy theories. You know, generally, conspiracies are almost impossible because politicians can't keep their mouths shut. Bureaucrats always leak. But I do believe, I do believe that there is evidence that has been kept from the world. And I think, I think our government in Australia, certain officials know about it. I think certainly a lot of people in the American government know about it. But I do think that we are on the cusp of possible revelations of non-human intelligence. I really do think that's a possibility based on what I'm being told. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny because you don't need to listen to me 
uh, I'm just the journal reporting what I'm being told, I'd recommend people go and listen to people like Luis Elizondo, who is the former counterintelligence official who ended up being posted through the office of the Undersecretary for Defence Intelligence to uh, a program called ATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threats Identification Program, which essentially was a secret, top secret, classified program inside the Pentagon investigating UFOs funded by Congress. And as a result of what Lou and his team found, Lou went public with the New York Times. And as recently as last week, I know this may shock people and they may scoff, but as recently as last week, Lou did an interview with a guy called Kurt Jaimungle on a podcast called Theories of Everything, where he just blew me away with some of the things he said. But one of the things he talked about was that some of the craft that have been observed, and he keeps on using the word craft, vehicles, intelligently controlled vehicles, had occupants in them. I'll say that again, occupants. He's suggesting that the United States government is in possession of videos or some form of evidence which proves that there are occupants on these craft. And he's talked frequently about how these craft these vehicles are allegedly intelligently controlled. Now, I'm, because of lovely people like Dick, I'm taught to be a sceptic. I'm always going to be a sceptic. And I'm not going to believe that the United States has flying saucers jacked up on blocks in the back of Area 51 until I literally see it or the president stands in front of a lectern and admits it. But I do think it is possible that something not of this world is engaging with humanity and has been for a very long time. And it's not just me saying this. It's officials in the United States government who are doing what they often do with journalists like me. They're engaging with me. They're, they're talking to me privately and they're giving me briefings, background briefings, and they're saying, look, the world needs to get ready for this. And do you and, think that's because... Um, just because uh, uh, the evidence is becoming so incontrovertible, Absolutely. because as well as Absolutely. as well as all of these government um, uh, sightings, I suppose military sightings, there's a lot of uh, personal uh, experiences like this as well, Ross. And then I guess the thing is, who are those being collected? Are you know those being recorded? These individuals and can you tell us some of the ones that have happened um, in sure. Australia? You, that you came across as part of your research? Well, I, look, my personal favourite sighting is the Westall 1966 sighting, 6th of April, 1966, because it's it's just such a belly buster of a sighting. It's just incontrovertible that it happened. Over 200-plus people, mainly school kids, 10.30 in the morning, bright blue sky day, barely a cloud in the sky, playtime at Westall High School, in South Clayton in Melbourne. The kids run out onto the field. They're all playing cricket or touch rugby. When all of a sudden they look up and there are three lenticular metallic disc-shaped craft. That's what, that's what the word is that they use. Craft, let's use a neutral word. Objects hovering overhead. 
A teacher there, Andrew Greenwood, the science teacher at the school, he saw it too. Andrew's the toughest guy to get to talk about this, but God bless him, he did. And he tells me in detail how what he saw, he saw from 50 metres away. It was clearly a lenticular, metallic, disc-shaped object. It wasn't a weather balloon. And as they watched, one of these objects moved towards an area known as the Grange beyond the school grounds and sank behind trees in bushland, which was where the kids all used to go and play and smoke cigarettes. And a couple of brave kids ran before the teachers could stop them and, and pursued this craft. And a number of them have described to me what they saw. One of them gives a stunning account of how she came into a clearing and there was one of these discs, metallic discs, glowing with lights underneath, hovering just above the ground. And then as she watched, it rose again, went on a 45-degree angle, and as she and hundreds of people watched, these three objects rejoined and just went, <laughs> they were out of there instantaneously. Mm. Now, what's fascinating isn't just the sighting, it's the cover-up afterwards. Because I should emphasise, the Australian government, no government official made any statement, has many ever made any statement at all to explain this event. Now, I find that absolutely extraordinary because you would think there was a major military operation, like dozens of troops were brought there, the area was secured, there are hundreds of witnesses who saw this happen. Local police were engaged to secure the area. There are police who've come forward and recalled their involvement in that event after the fact. Two weeks after the sighting, that science teacher I told you about, Andrew Greenwood, was at home. He'd just given an interview to a Dandenong newspaper describing what he saw when there was a knock on the door quite late in the evening, just after dinner. He opened it, and the way he describes it, there were two officials on the doorstep. One was clearly a military officer. He was dressed in an Air Force uniform of a senior Air Force officer. And the other, he assumed to be a policeman or an intelligence official. And they didn't muck around. They basically told him to shut up about what he saw, and they threatened him. They told him that if he spoke about what he saw, he would lose his job as a school teacher and he would be defamed with the false allegation that he was an alcoholic and that he couldn't be trusted to teach children. So Andrew kept quiet about it for most of his life. And he's now, God bless him, an elderly gentleman living in rural Victoria. And he's still angry that he was told mm. to shut up about that event. Now, he's a science teacher. Somebody like you and me who's schooled in the scientific method. When I was talking to him, I used accidentally, I promise you, I wasn't trying to set him up. I, I said, This craft. And he said, No, no, I didn't say it was a craft, Ross. <laughs> I said it was an object, a disc shaped object. I want you to be careful about that. And he did. He told me off about it. He was being very careful and very scientific. But when skeptics and debunkers who weren't there, have speculated that what he saw was a highball balloon, a military balloon that was being used in a secret project with the Americans to monitor radiation. He scoffed. 
He said, I know what a balloon looks like. And it wasn't a balloon. And that's what all those children say as well. And I had the privilege of bringing them all together on the 55th anniversary of the Westall sighting last year, uh, earlier this year, sorry. And um, they were such wonderful people because there were about 20, 24 people that we brought back. They were all little 10-year-old, 12-year-old kids back then in 1966, and they're now in their 60s. And it was so funny because they all reverted to their 10-year-old personas when they came <laughs> to the school. And they were all just grabbing me, saying, what I saw was there. And, and for them, it was the most exciting thing they'd ever seen in their lives. And they're, they're furious to this day, really vexed by the fact that the government has never said anything, and more importantly, anything about this event, even though that we know that it was seen and reported on by military officials, there was even a secret report that was prepared for the Department of Supply, which is a department that was originally conceived for the British nuclear testing program, and it's now been subsumed into the Department of Defence. I, I actually, by complete chance, have an old source, a guy I know from a very senior role in a federal government department. I won't identify the department or him to protect him. But he doesn't really mind if the government knows who he is because he's devil may care. He just doesn't want to be hassled by ufologists, he told me. But he categorically recalls his father writing the secret report on the Westall incident. And he said his father was so shocked by what they uncovered that he told his wife to keep a copy of the report until after his death and then to destroy it, just as insurance, because he was really worried about what he'd recorded and what he'd seen. And I said to my source, I said, what did he see? Did you read the report? And he went, no, that's the great frustration. He says, my mother burnt it in the garden in front of us after our dad died. But, but he said, there must be a copy of the report because I saw my father prepare it. And you haven't found that report, have you, Ross? I'm going back to my good friends at the wonderful Australian National Archives, which I really should acknowledge here is just an absolutely wonderful national resource, often underfunded. And they've been so kind to me in the course of my UAP research because they've pulled out all the old UFO files. And uh, it's amazing when you go through them because year after year, in the very same period when you and I are being told UFOs are nonsense, it's not true, it's not real, they're seriously investigating. And so one of the uh, reports that I obtained was really interesting. In 1975, it's the height of the October Arab-Israeli War. And uh, 1973, sorry, 1973. And um, the world is quite literally on the edge of nuclear apocalypse. It's one of the events where we've come the closest to launching nuclear weapons. And it was a dreadfully dangerous period in all of our lives for those of us who were alive then. And Kissinger gave the order from the White House, because funnily enough, it's now a matter of official history, President Nixon was so drunk that he couldn't have handled it. So Nixon gave the order to go from standard defence condition of DEFCON 4 to defence condition 3. And it sounds like nothing, it's just a bureaucratic button, but it is major. It's the highest peacetime alert level for the US military. And when that order goes out, 
entire bomb groups are moved around the world. Marine battalions are put on ships and set sail. You know, they're getting ready for war. And why is that relevant to Australia? Well, go way, way, way across Australia, right across to Northwest Cape, one of the most remote parts of the country. And on Northwest Cape, near the little fishing village of Exmouth, there is, in fact, in 1973, a very, very secret American base. And it's still there. It's now run by Australia, but it still serves the purpose for which it was serving a purpose back in the 70s. And incredibly, this really didn't have any this debate in Australia when it was built because people didn't know what it was for. We were told it was a communication station. But what it is, is a VLF, very low frequency array. It's massive. It's like something out of a science fiction film when you see it. You drive up from Exmouth five kilometres and then all of a sudden out of the red ochre desert, you see beside the, the Indian Ocean, you see this massive, absolutely incredible array of towers and they're in a hexagon. And what they can do, they have a massive transmitter under the ground and it sends out a very low frequency signal that can actually talk, send a signal to submarines, American nuclear submarines positioned underwater with their nuclear missiles in the Indian Ocean and the Southern Pacific. And it can penetrate the water and tell the, the subs to come further to the surface to receive a more detailed message where the intention was in the event of nuclear war the orders for the launch of the Strategic Nuclear Defence of America would go through the Harold E. Holt Naval Communications Station on Northwest Cape. It's just amazing to me that we've allowed this part of Australia to be used for such a dreadful apocalypse event. You know, it's incredible. I suppose it was very uh, uh, remote back in yeah. the day, whereas... You know, even the most remote part of Australia doesn't feel so remote anymore. So Now, you're going to ask me, why is this relevant to UAPs? Mm. Because in the files, in the government's files, uh, a UFO group in the 1980s, actually 1970s, obtained very interesting documents, which, funnily enough, have now disappeared from defence archives, but they were official defence documents. And they show that two witnesses within a few hours of Henry Kissinger giving the alert to go to DEFCON 3, a, a much elevated rating, telling the nuclear subs to get ready for war, that signal was sent out through Northwest Cape. And at around about that time, within a few hours, a big black sphere hovered over the base. Incontrovertibly, it was seen by both the deputy commander of the base, uh, Lieutenant Commander Moyer or Meyer, and it was also seen by um, a guy called Bill Lynn, and he drew a picture of it. And what he drew was essentially some kind of object with a, a plasma ring around it, which was hovering over the base for 20, 30 minutes. Incontrovertibly, a solid object. I've since spoken to soldiers, SAS soldiers, Special Air Service soldiers, our very top Special Forces soldiers, who in the 1980s saw a similar object hovering over the RAF Learmonth base, the Air Force base, which is the service airport for 
Northwest Cape. And this is a massive base, and the SAS was about to do a parachute jump. And uh, all of a sudden, this spherical, glowing spherical object hovered over the airbase, shut down all the communications, and they had to cancel their parachute drop. They were dropping a large number of soldiers out of an aircraft and uh, they had to suspend the parachute drop until this object went away. And I recently found the soldier who's named in the archives. He's now retired. He's in his 60s. Lovely fella. He was happy to be interviewed. And he said, you know, I didn't think they would ever make that public. But he said, it's incredible. He says, to this day, I don't know what it was we saw, but whatever it was, it was real. It was solid. It shut down all four of our radios. Um, it was some kind of electromagnetic interference. He said it scared the heck out of us. And it was interesting because when I went to Exmouth, I sat down in a pub and soon it got around to town that I was the crazy UFO guy interested in talking about UFOs. And this gigantic bloke dressed in a big high-vis vest walked up to me in the bar and I thought I was going to get hit or something. <laughs> and he said... Are you that bloke that's here doing a story about UFOs? And I went, yeah, I am. And he went, good, because we've all seen them. Right. And he turned, and there was this whole table of guys leaning across waiting for me to respond. And <laughs> so I went and bought them beers, and they told me all these things. They were road workers, and they told me all these sightings they'd had over many, many years of labouring in that area. They are, the locals are absolutely convinced. Some think it's alien spacecraft. Some think it's a secret American project. I'm leaning towards, you might be interested to know, the possibility that the Americans have been testing super secret technology in that area in the early 1990s because they were freaked that the Nevada test range had been blown, that a lot of people were sitting off the Nevada test range with cameras and video cameras and recording all the latest stealth aircraft. But as US officials and intelligence and defence officials have actually admitted to me, if what is being seen now all around the world, these objects are real, and they're saying they are, it means someone or perhaps something has cracked the holy grail of propulsion technologies. If these are craft then they are following what Lou Elizondo, the head of the Pentagon's UFO program, has dubbed the five observables. They're capable of hypersonic speeds, in some cases, tens of thousands, in fact, hundreds of thousands of kilometres an hour. They're capable of extraordinary instantaneous manoeuvres. They can turn on the turn of a dime. No velocity change. That sort of thing exerts, I think, one of the calculations for the so-called tic-tac video that was seen off the USS Nimitz by fighter pilots uh, from the USS Nimitz in 2004, the estimation was that it at one stage was flying the object at a hundred and something thousand of kilometres an hour, and it was exerting 12,000 G-forces. That's just an estimate of the G-forces that must have been involved. And physicists have told me that the only plausible explanation for a technology that could achieve that without turning whoever or whatever's inside into mush or pulling the aircraft apart is that it's operating on anti-gravitics. But, but that's not, and that's not a technology we have at our disposal at this stage. In Officially, we haven't cracked it, but I'm mm. starting to suspect that the Americans are sitting on 
technology that they haven't yet acknowledged to the world. Because the only other explanation, as Bill Nelson said in, you know, the administrator of NASA said publicly yesterday to everybody's shock, the only other explanation is that this is extraterrestrial or interdimensional or something else. It's mind-blowing stuff. It is. Uh, the implications of it are something that we, you and I could go on and talk about. Maybe we'll have another podcast down the road, Ross, once those revelations start to come out. And once we start, I think, you know, we just, we need to see this evidence. We need, we hear about the film. We hear that, you know, that there is visual evidence. We hear these very, um, you know, compelling uh, personal stories from, from witnesses who are very credible. But we really need to see this evidence now. And I think, we look forward to seeing how this rolls out. Uh, really appreciate your um, uh, investigative powers and the, the way that you brought them to this and been able to sort of explain this in a way that, you know, people can engage with and start to try and get their head around. But really, it is mind-blowing. It's, it's, it's life-altering stuff, and I look forward to seeing where we go next with it. And it's been absolutely fantastic to hear about these so many different um so much evidence, so much compelling evidence that's out there for this phenomenon. It's there in plain sight, Chrissy, if people care to look. Well, look, thank you very much for being on uh, Talking Australia with us today, Ross. It's a pleasure. Mm -hmm.